Hello, gentle listener, and welcome to Michael and Ethan in a Room with Scotch. I am your host, Michael Lilienthal, and this is my guest, Ethan Bartlett. Hi, I'm Ethan Bartlett. And, as our title suggests, we are in a room with Scotch. But what scotch are we in a room with, Michael? That's the surprise, gentle listener. Just wait until I reveal and unveil what the scotch is. Did you just call me gentle listener? Because I'm Ethan. You know, no, I'm talking to, to the gentle listener who's, who's through the well, microphone. But you were in response to my question. Yeah, I know, but it was like with the implied audience that's 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 supposedly Why do you listening. keep pointing that way? There's no stage here. I, 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 this I, is a podcast. I feel better when there's a stage. Everyone is listening to this podcast on their tape recorders. Ta- until it gets we're, all... Tape recorder? Ta- we're going to have a discussion. <laughs> We're, we're going to talk we about We always this. say we're going to have a discussion, but then we don't. They don't know that. Yeah, now that's true. Just, we do a pretty good That's illusion. That's inside baseball right there. No, I mean, even on this show, like, we claim it's a discussion show, but it's really just us drinking scotch. It's true. But it's not about the scotch. It is not <laughs> about the scotch. Which, gentle listener, is the tagline we came up with three episodes in, even though it's pretty much just, like, right there in the name of the show and the concept and... We should have thought of this, like, a lot of time ago. Yeah, we ago, really should have. We're, we're kind of terrible. Anyway. And yes, I just used the phrase a lot of time ago, and I have had no scotch yet. <laughs> so this is going to be a stellar one, guys. Great. And, and gals. And well, let's, let's remedy gentle that. Gentle listeners let's, of all kinds. Let's get some scotch in you. Yes. Are you ready to find out what the scotch is? I am so ready. All right. I've been ready for a month. The scotch is Glenfiddich, U.S. exclusive, 14-year... Oh. Bourbon Barrel Reserve. So it's oh. it's it's in a, a lovely, rich royal blue box. In really, that, just... that classic Glenfiddich kind of semi-triangular shape. Yeah, and then the the Glenfiddich. Uh, uh, I assume it's a stag. I guess I should yep. probably know that. But, yep. Um, and really, that's what Fiddich a... means like the, oh, the Valley of the Deer. Sure, I think that's technically it's what Glenfiddich probably means. technically like Fiddich. Yeah, probably. Glenfiddich. But, you know, we are Americans, yeah. and they did make the scotch apparently just for us. So they I did. think we get just to pronounce for it Americans. however we want. So, yep, we can say it how we want to say it. And the Glenfiddich people can't. Uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, so let me uh, let me tell you what uh, the Glenfiddich-ish 14-year uh, <laughs> says about itself. A celebration of the American spirit. After 14 years maturing in casks that previously held bourbon, our malt master Brian Kinsman finishes our scotch whiskey in deep, charred, new American oak barrels from Kentucky. I think that's Fiddishes. Fiddishes. Okay. Okay. For a rich, sweet, and vibrant malt. Reminder, we still have not had any of the scotch yet. Not a drop. Not a dram. Not Excuse a dram. Me, not a yeah. dram. Yes. Say it right. I know. I should. We're talking about pronunciation. What? Okay. Beautifully bold. After fourteen patient, year, patient, patient years, patient years. I don't know what that is. I have never had a patient year I, in my I'm life. I'm trying to teach you. <laughs> it's not working. Is it? <laughs> I, I think I'm teaching you right now. You're, I, I don't like learning. <laughs> After 14 patient years, our whiskey has beautiful, deep, sweet flavors of creamy toffee and our signature ripe summer fruit. Finishing in new American oak barrels from Kentucky, I think they said that already, mm-hmm. wakes it up with a bold vanilla punch! Bold vanilla punch! I've never experienced a vanilla punch 
feel like vanilla is more it's sort gonna, of like gonna a, punch you. you know like a massage or like a gentle yeah. you know but i guess i'm gonna get punched by vanilla so you that will be good. a new experience yep. if nothing else it's it's a bold vanilla punch thank you yeah uh overlaid with notes of fresh oak and velvety caramel mm. so that's the glenfiddich let me open the box for you so you can see Ooh. Look at that. There is indeed scotch inside of that box that says it has scotch in it. You doubt it, didn't you? you what? Didn't... You know, I, I never want to, like, assume that the greatest thing is going to happen until I know. Because uh, that's, that's, I don't want to set myself Keep up for disappointment. Keep your expectations low. Yep. So, okay, let me let me uh, open this, this bottle up. It looks like a Glenfiddich bottle. I mean... It's, it's, a, it's that nice triangular, triangular sort of shape. shape. Yep. It's kind of a pleasing shape and kind of a weird shape. It is. It's it's interesting, but also kind of comforting. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's open this up. All right, you ready to hear the uh, the pop? Oh, oh! It's kind of that was kind of a soft little. It was so soft, but it was pop, it was but nice. It was there. It was but there. It was nice. All right, here I'm gonna pour you a little bit. There we go. There's that splash. There we go. Have to have the splash. All right. Very good. Now, as per the rules of the podcast... What are the rules of the podcast? Once our glasses clink, neither one of us is allowed to talk about the scotch. And also, as per our last episode's rules, we are not allowed to talk about one another's mothers. Right. And that, you know, this (laughs) this was aimed at banning sort of the your mom cheap easy joke, but... Because... We strive for the highest caliber of comedy. The yeah. highest caliber of at least whatever this is. I don't um, know. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, but it, it expanded sort of sort of one of those those quantum things where like by observing it you change it um, into being that nobody's mothers are allowed to be mentioned whatsoever. And it, additionally, that's that's true about the scotch as well. Like our first episode, we kind of kind of flirted with the lines a little bit. Um, flirted? I think we took those lines to bed. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was I was trying to to the the listener is gentle and yes, easily, I'm sorry, I don't mean to offended. offend your sensibilities, yes. gentle gentle listener. I'm I'm sorry to offend your sensibilities. We will be far more genteel from here on out. I don't think that voice is genteel. I feel like that's the voice that you used after you took the line to bed. <laughs> anyway, point being, we cannot not only like mention the word scotch or what scotch we're like. We can't mention the scotch in any way, shape, or form. Like no, none of this cheap. You know, oh well, you've had too much of the unmentionable beverage. No, that counts, and we will it's suffer the punishment. Not allowed. It is not allowed at all. Yep. Okay. So. So now that we've established that. Now that we've established that, are you ready to begin the episode? I am. We're like, I don't know, eight minutes in. and Well, rules are important, Michael. I know. I, so, but you always want to we, not follow the rules and I then know. it gets us in trouble. I know. I hate rules. I know. Me anyway, too. Anyway. All too. right. Ready? Slancha. Slancha. So the book we'll be discussing for this episode, which Ethan picked uh, at the end of last episode is Then We Came to the End by Joshua Ferris. And you had never read this book before. That's correct. And I have never read this book before. Right, which is the first time so far. So far, yes. Because we we started with... Uh, South you, of the Border, West of the Sun. I was going to say, you have to say the title because I never say it right. <laughs> which we had both read before. It yep. was more or less my pick because when we read it before, I made you read it. Yep, yep. Um, and then you picked... East uh, of Eden. East of Eden, which you had read and I had not. Yep. 
And this one, obviously I picked it, but we have neither of us read it, so... Right, and my my OCD is very disappointed in you that the title has nothing to do with the direction north. Right, I know. <laughs> you mentioned that last month where you said, you know, south of the border, uh, west, west of, of the, the sun. sun. Um, and then you know, it has south and west, and then obviously east, east of Eden has east yeah. in it. Which the obvious choice then might have been the Westing game, because like that whole novel is completely about cardinal directions, but even then it would have been West again. I couldn't really come right. up with anything that had North in it, but this at least has a direction in it. Does it? Well, in a sense, like the end. The end. Okay, you okay. Know, it's, 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 it's not maybe driving. a direction, but it's like... It's, it, it, it has an aim? Yeah, it, there's, there's like a an geographical aim. element to the sure, title. Sure, sure, um, sure. So I feel like I deserve at least like a B minus for that, even if it's not C plus. an A plus. C plus. I'm pretty okay. If if you're saying C plus, I'm gonna have to go to B plus. Nope. Pretty sure. Pretty sure B plus. No, I'm pretty sure C plus. If you're asking pretty me sure. for a grade, I'm giving you the grade. Yeah. Well, of C plus. But the thing is, you're so, wrong. That you can't. So just like with all of the teachers who ever did not give me an A, <laughs> I have to tell you what my grade is now. Um. And it's it's now a B plus. Well, you're resisting me, so now my grade is an A minus. I think you're resisting me. Um, That's just you. You asked me for a grade, and I gave you a grade. Right, but you gave me the wrong grade. Is what I'm saying. I don't think (sighs) you haven't you haven't been to school in a while, have you? No, I haven't. Totally how it works. Is it? Is it? Is that how that works? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. Yeah, all, all of the all of the listeners who are currently in school can write to Michael or tweet at Michael and tell him how grades work and that it's the way that I said. I'm pretty at least sure when they're my grades, when it's your grades, right? Yeah. Like everyone knows. I don't know how you don't know this about. Me. I guess I guess there's a lot I don't know about that's, you. That's I thought I knew. Increasingly you. apparent. Oh man, <laughs> we're already at this point. Huh? <laughs> okay. Alright, so now that we've had that yes. scene, we've embarrassed, embarrassed all of the listeners yeah, by airing our, airing our dirty linen in public. Speak for yourself. On their, on their cassette tapes. On their, okay. Yep, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so then we came to the end. Book, then we came to the end. Um, what the heck? <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I, I love, uh playing read my mind because you can do it so often so i want you (laughs) to tell me what the one single thing that i found out about this book before ever reading it that made me have to read it i think you found out that the narrator is first person plural that is exactly (laughs) exactly correct (laughs) ding 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 ding. yes you win wait we didn't think there was any way to win on here and yet you just did i did (gasps) so it's podcast over Okay. <laughs> no, the cat still didn't get a cheeseburger, so oh. we're, we're not done yet. Dang it! Okay, we have to keep recording this because that day. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yes. Worry. So first person plural. First person plural. Yeah. No, I read a review. You know, back in you know, 2012 or whenever it was that this novel first made a big, huge splash, mm-hmm. and they said first person plural, and I was like, well, I have to read that one day. Right. Um, And it took me till 2016, 2017, which is pretty average turnaround time for me. Um, But yeah, and you can get that, obviously, just from the first line. Yep. We were fractious and overpaid. Yep. Which is just 
I think a brilliant first line. It really is. It's it's solid. It's really good. You've got the we there, obviously. Right. Which, if you go all the way back to the end and see the last line of right. the book, it says, just the two of us, you and me. That's the last line of the book. Right. So it starts with we and ends with me. Right. Which I think is the best part of this book. <laughs> just that. Just, just that. that. <laughs> those, those bookends. Those bookends, yes. Uh, and, I mean, you've got then the fractious idea, which right. you've got the individual parts uh, within this collective we, right. um, and that fractious idea that the individual parts are breaking apart, which kind of just foreshadows the end when you get until just just you and me, right? Um, yeah, and and it it uh, uh, and and then there's that overpaid too, mm-hmm. which just sort of goes straight to acknowledging sort of one of the the pitfalls or the the things that that. Um, about an office comedy that can trip you up is just the fact that you know in any even like the tv show the office or or any any sort of office-based comedy or or right. um, which the office was in its height when this book came out this right. came out 2007 the office started in 2005 right like did that was come out that early yep i did not know that 2007 oh it did interesting mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Don't think that wasn't in the back of my mind the entire time I was reading this book. Right. (laughs) Which, it's then interesting to me... uh, Oh, what did I... Maybe I had all the dates wrong on this book, because I thought this came out later than that. Like, I thought this came out sort of post... uh, um, Post... uh, 2008 crisis. Oh, sure. But... No. This is just, you know, on the verge of that. That's yep, actually just it. really interesting. It is. It's kind of fascinating. Which, it it also made it legitimate at that point to refer, at least in passing, to 2011. Or 20, 2011. 9-11. Right. Uh, which it did. Um, which it did, except it didn't. Except it didn't. Which I feel like is, is a large part of... The things that this book does. Yep. It talks a lot about the things that it's talking about without talking about them. Yep. Um, and in fact, the the idea... Like, okay, so then we came to the end is the title of the book, which makes right. me think, okay, the end of what? Right. And when is the end? Right. And... Because in, in the title, it's it's a finite... Yep. Like a time-based thing. Then. Right. So something needs to be building to something. Right. To an end. And the end comes, uh, or the title of the book comes on page 357, which is in the same context as 2011, where it says at the... 9-11. Oh my gosh, 9-11. Yeah. Yes. So I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so it says there, in the last week of August 2001, and in the first 10 days of that September... Okay. Then there were... There were more layoffs than in all the months preceding them, but by the grace of God, the rest of us hung on, hating each other more than we ever thought possible. Then we came to the end of another bright and tranquil summer. Right. Which encapsulates, really, like, what this book is about. Mm -hmm. Because it's about the loss of innocence. Okay. Um, is like, yeah, there's a lot of things it's about, obviously, but but that's, like, my major takeaway is... It's, it's essentially, it's like, it's the idea of the fall, to put it in religious terms, like a fall from grace. And I'm not sure there was ever, like, 
in 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 the the world of the novel that there was a paradise that was perfect but but it's certainly about falling you know from from essentially a fall from grace and a, and a, you know, an ending of innocence. And so without ever saying directly 9-11, that to me is the territory that this is charting. Okay. Is that the, that sort of end of innocence. Interesting. I didn't get that. And I, I think, you know, and, and it's, see it. it, it almost would come out of left field uh, if it had waited till, you know, page 357 out of, like 385 or right. waited till right at the end. Except that within the first 25 pages or so, and I was rereading a little bit of this earlier today just to, to prepare, and uh, it's within that first 25 pages or so that we hear about Janine and her daughter getting mm-hmm. getting kidnapped and ultimately being found dead, which is a really heavy thing, uh, especially in something that is essentially a comic novel. Mm-hmm. But it... it both both that and like that that very first line which again for a for a five word sentence carries a lot of of weight um bears bears this sort of a load bearing line in a sense um you know the the to play fair with a reader you have to set up the world of of whatever story you're telling right at the beginning mm-hmm. um like i always think of the the movie pirates of the caribbean uh as as sort of a, a easy to talk about example of this i guess because obviously everyone knows like Pirates of the Caribbean is a movie about undead pirates, right? Mm-hmm. But you know, what if if you watch the first movie, especially if you've never watched any of the others, or if you're in that that context where I first saw it, where the others didn't exist yet, <laughs> you're old. I, I I know I know that every day. But if if you watch it like that, you know, the first third of that movie is essentially sort of a, a historical adventure movie. You don't get undead pirates. You don't get any really supernatural element until like the end of the first act i want to say um you know a third of the way into the movie but that movie begins with a prologue where you see the undead pirates within the first minute or so of the movie and it's it's you know that that first prologue and then you jump forward however many years 10 years or something um and then the first third of the movie goes and you're sort of allowed to forget that so you get sort of the thrill of the undead pirates but it's still sort of playing fair with the, in that case, the viewer, where you've introduced a world where this exists right from the beginning. So, you know, you can't have someone accuse you of like, oh, you just, you just sprung that on us because you ran out of other ideas. Like, no, this is, this is part of the the whole story. And, you know, the, there's the old uh, uh, saying that sort of an old platitude that comedy and tragedy are very closely linked mm-hmm. um or you have the the other platitude that's whatever comedy is tragedy plus time you know and there, there's always been that idea of sort of a a link or a very close uh uh connection between comedy and tragedy and a lot of you know a lot of like stand-up comedians for example have horrific pasts like a lot of the best stand-up comedians you know experienced abuse or or alcoholism or you know any number of of those kinds of things and that's like where their comedy comes from from a very sort of sad place so this isn't super unheard of but but you know whereas a lot of uh comedy or comedic work um including comic novels you know a lot of them sort of walk a very fine line between comedy and tragedy this book i feel like just sort of stomps on either side of that line yeah you know, and there's there's very funny stuff and there's very sad stuff, um, and often the two are inextricably linked. 
but it's not a delicate balance at all. And I don't think it's it's intended to be a delicate balance, but... No, I think um, it's absolutely intentional that it's jumping back and forth and immersing you in the tragedy and the really terrifying and really sad stuff, and then it just comes out making fun of itself mm-hmm. uh, on the other side of it. It... Mm. it I mean, you've got that scene, that sort of climactic scene when Tom Moda comes in and is shooting up the office. Right. And honestly, you expect and you think he's actually killing everybody. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it it, it it would be perfectly plausible in the world of this novel for that to happen. Right. And then when you find out it's paintballs, that also makes perfect sense. Right. Which is really, I you know, even just on a technical level, I feel like <clears> it's a... It's a very impressive feat. It is. That is. To to convince us of two things simultaneously. Yeah. Which is kind of the theme of the book, at least as I saw it. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I wrote double think uh-huh. <laughs> in the book itself. Uh-huh. Just the idea of, of thinking two contradictory things mm-hmm. simultaneously. And the idea, too, of, you know, this we, this collective idea... And making us, the reader, part of that collective. Right. And that, you know, it's very clear at the end that we are supposed to be part of that collective when the everybody leaves this bar, um, and then finally it's they're the only only two left, just the two of us, you and me. Um, and all of a sudden the reader is part of this we, this collective. Mm-hmm. And so for us to be part of this collective, but also to be apart from it, is that sort of doublethink, which is the conflict right. of every single character in the book trying to reconcile being an individual and also being part of this group. Right. And in that connection, <clears throat> what did you think of uh, the the multiple quotes from Emerson? That was interesting. And I'm, I'm not familiar enough with Emerson to sure. say too much about it. I felt um, like you were, you were a little bit more sympathetic with the Transcendentalists than I tend to be. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wanted to get your take on it before I uh, chime in with my curmudgeonly your curmudgeon, thoughts. Sure, sure. Well, I think by quoting from Emerson so much, and for that being, especially for Tom Moda, uh-huh. uh, being the foundation of his individuality within this collective, is an ironic sort of, well, a, a sad ironic sort of thing, mm-hmm. that to be an individual, he has to rely on the words of another. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's that's like part of the whole everything that's going on in this book mm-hmm. is you know you're there's there's that just like there's that inextricable link to the point you almost can't separate it between like the comic elements and the tragic elements everything that makes you an individual you get from somewhere else and you know vice versa everything that like you bring to the group there's you know there's still an individuality to that. Like the group would be not the same group without you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The the group changes based on the individuals within it. Right. And I, it's, it's interesting to me because, you know, the transcendentalist thing and even the, the, uh, the quote right at the beginning that I have to, mm-hmm. um, it is not the chief disgrace in the world not, not to be, Oh, is it not? Sorry. The chief disgrace in the world, not to be a unit. Not to be reckoned one character, not to yield that particular fruit which each man was created to bear. So, you know, there's there's this conflict, even in the, those lines of poetry, and they, they go on some more of this sort of 
reemphasizing that same point, you know, that, that with, with the length that, that we go on here is, uh, about this, it's like, you can't help but emphasize that idea of individuality, but like, is that all I think is the, the crux of the question in this book and you know the transcendentalists and maybe Thoreau more than Emerson but they were very sort of known for that idea of self-reliance and Mm -hmm. the idea of asserting your individuality Mm -hmm. um, over and against everything else and and everyone else Um, and that's also you know again a very American thing Mm -hmm. um, is that that myth of the the bootstraps you know Mm -hmm. pulling yourself up by the bootstraps being an individual over against the the crowd like you have that image of of sort of the pioneer at the head of the wagon train you you know at at the uh, just sort of forging his own way and and planting his own crops and and so on and so forth Mm -hmm. but even contained within that image you're back to a community because you know the 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 frontier like one of the most recognizable sort of uniquely american frontier events is the idea of a barn raising where everyone gets together and mm-hmm. you know raises the new barn for for the um for whatever family is sort of new to the area or whatever um so i think that's a deeply like deep seated in the american psyche is this great conflict between um, you know, the, the individual and the group. Yeah, and that's Joe Pope, I think, is ultimately the, the character who culminates that picture. Early on, I thought maybe it would be Tom Moda, which I think was intentional, mm. because Tom Moda himself, when he's in jail and talking to Joe Pope, uh, is saying, you know, I thought it was me, mm. but it's not. It's you he's talking to Joe Pope. Mm. Uh, and then Joe Pope himself rejects the definition that Tom Moda is bringing to him, which is what kind of makes Joe Pope the quintessential individual right. in the entire book. Because then when we get to the end, Benny Shasberger is trying to get in touch with Joe Pope and saying he's supposed to be at his desk. He's always at his desk. He never leaves his desk because uh, he's trying to call him and mm-hmm. he can't get a hold of him. And then that's where Joe is left. Joe's not where we expect him to be. Right. And so that that individual character kind of comes out and is defined completely apart from the other characters in the book, the collective of the book, the the reader, too. Right. Uh, and I suspect even the author. The author didn't know where he was. He just knew he wouldn't be where he wanted him to be. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. And then, But then the, the question still becomes as to whether that's a good thing or like the mm-hmm. best thing or you know whether that even makes what that makes him you know traditionally that would make him the hero right um but you know this book it, it's very uh you know it's it's almost a platitude to call any book that's come out in the last 50 years postmodern <laughs> but there's that a very postmodern element of the fact that this book asserts something and then undercuts it immediately. Absolutely. Everything that it asserts, and it will assert it with great force, but it immediately undercuts it and yep. questions it. Yeah, just and that with, fact that you, you would expect individuality to be praised. Right. And it's, it is, but then it's also not. Right. And the, the collective is praised. Right. And, and, you know, I think that comes out with Joe Pope specifically uh, when he has that, 
that sort of long conversation uh, with Genevieve, I forget what page it's on, but yeah. they go down and, and sit by the water and they, it's just sort of the two of them having lunch and, and talking. And Joe describes uh, the, the time in his childhood when he sort of figured out this this uh, dichotomy between you know acting as part of the group and just going along with whatever intelligence the group had to bring versus uh you know standing up as an individual and saying no this is this is wrong this is you mm-hmm. know i i have to sort of stand on my own here be separate from the group right yeah. and uh now i forgot where i was going with that joe uh oh so so you know again in, in the course of that conversation you'd, you'd think that that joe is like if not praising himself as the hero he's at least gonna seem like the hero but then you know he immediately questions whether that makes him better than the group yep he doesn't think that 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 does and you know there's no there's no sort of narrative reason to think that that because joe is is this individual is this sort of american ideal that that actually makes him any better than the rest of the group right and it was it was interesting uh uh, my wife Karen actually read this book before I did, and I, I bought this, you know, used. Uh, sorry, um, Joshua Ferris, if you're listening, but I bought this used. Several, <laughs> you got no money from several this. Several years ago, um, and or not several years ago, but a couple years ago, and you know, just had been watching for it, picked it up, and uh, brought it home, and like you know, like I said, I always have a constant like four year backlog. Um, of books that I mean to read so like I'm and and I do like separate out the next you know literary novels I mean to read the next uh, fantasy science fiction novels the next history you know so on and so forth and then I have to like if I'm gonna read this I'm gonna have to bump this up and bump this off the list and and I go through this whole thing meanwhile my wife just sees a book that she wants to read and picks it up and reads it um (laughs) Which is just very frustrating when it's like, I'm going to read this, and then she's already read it for months by the time I get around to it. But so I read this, and I, and I was I was talking to her about it, and she said it made her very uncomfortable in a lot of, a lot of ways. Uh, and one of those ways was just the fact that there wasn't someone that you're, like, supposed to root for. Mm-hmm. She kept trying to root for for uh someone to you know to find someone to root for yep and it just the novel wasn't giving it that to her wouldn't allow it i tried to I, I i was trying to find that too to to pick somebody mm-hmm. uh that whose whose story is this is, right. is the question right. i was asking and i thought maybe it was tom moda's at one point which i think you're supposed to think yeah um that it's tom moda's right and and you know uh, a character we haven't mentioned yet uh, Lynn Mason, the yes, the the boss. Uh, you kind of who, think it's hers. She gets yeah. she gets the only third person perspective, right? Bit in the middle which, of the book, which actually, you know, you think that's. I was going to say you think that's more significant than it is, but you think it's significant in a different way than it turns out to be. Yep, um, which we can get into. But she does, right. um, as you said that. I was looking back right at the beginning in third paragraph of the book. Um, she does get the first third-person direct introduction, I believe. Yeah, the the first two paragraphs mm-hmm. are solid. You know, we loved free bagels in the morning. Uh, uh, you know, our business was advertising and deals were important. All this very collective. Even, even second person gets an introduction before mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. 
Is uh, this boring you is yet? Is this boring you yet? Yeah. Yeah, which is, again, setting up that, that, that payoff right at the end. Yep. Um, you know, before you even know to look for it, if you're reading this for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, third paragraph. Well, so, you know, it's it flows very nicely. Um, last sentence of the second paragraph. Our boredom was ongoing, a collective boredom, and it would never die because we would never die. Mm-hmm. Which is that, that inter- another interesting sort of accretion to that that first person plural perspective individuals might die but we but the collective doesn't yeah our, and it would never die because we would never die lynn mason was dying she was mm-hmm. a partner in the agency dying it was uncertain and, and you know we go into that but so there's even even more strongly almost than than joe pope or tom moda the idea that that lynn mason is actually like this is her story Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's, you could argue that almost even more strongly. And depending on where you are first reading this book, you might think that over even those, those other two guys. Um, but it's not hers either. No. And even that, that, uh, sort of third person interlude, um, partway through the book turns out to be, or at least is heavily implied to, to be, be, yeah, uh, Hank Neary's yeah, novel. Hank, from Hank Neary's novel. And it's Hank Neary fictionalizing things that we're pretty sure happened or thoughts that we're pretty sure Lynn had. But But if 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 he wrote it down, then there's no way to be certain that that's that that's something she actually experienced. Right. Any more than it's him reading into what he right. knows she experienced or thinks she experienced. Therefore it's not the individual that's presented it's, in there, it's the it's collective's still a collect- interpretation of the individual. Yeah. And even you know, even <sighs> it's not even Hank Neary's own interpretation no because first he got the information that he based it on from uh from other people and you know he he got the the details from other people and he sort of probably implied that like he uh some of the things that he has lynn thinking you know got from other people's conjectures about what she's thinking so that's still very collect even though hank is the one who writes it down technically right still a very collective interpretation of of, right uh, and at the in that last chapter of the book hank neary all of a sudden takes kind of a forefront role and so you all of a sudden think oh maybe the book is about hank neary but then he himself just fades in the background right and you're left with that group that's still there. Um, right. So he he is just part of the group, even though right. you think maybe he's transcended above it. No, he's still there. In he's the, still in part that group. of it, yeah. Which is an interesting commentary on, you know, art or uh, and literature specifically and how it comes to be. Um, and even that sort of folds into these themes again because we have this, this sort of mythological idea um, the way I used to put it when I taught writing was that, you know, writers are seen as these, these like people who sit in like garrets in, in, you know, attics by themselves, like <laughs> hunched over a typewriter with a, you know, with a, with a fedora and, and half of a cheap cigarette dangling from their lips, poking away at typewriters and just hating everyone. And they're just, you know, this this like romantic idea of this individual apart from the masses but if you ever actually you know talk to anyone who who writes even you know not even someone who's published necessarily anyone who's actually written fiction especially um and let alone any published authors any uh you know anyone who creates um 
artistic writing of any kind, you know, they're always talking about who their influences were, what they're yep. reading now, this thing that their wife said or their friend said, or they just overheard on the street that influenced them. Um, you know, it's all this, this, uh, you know, and I'm going, I'm going into like postmodern literary criticism. Like this sounds like something that Foucault or someone would say, but writers end up being this sort of nexus of influences. Mm-hmm. They're not so much an individual coming up with with thoughts as they are sort of a a filter for all these things that are floating around. They sort of like a like a prism or something, sort of d- distill it down into a a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, catching the collective and being a voice for the collective, not their own voice. Right. But, yeah. Can we talk about the names of the characters a little bit? Absolutely. Because I think it's significant. This is, I think, more your specialty than mine. Like, I sometimes will catch name stuff, but you're always the one who goes goes straight to the name. So I I really want to hear your It's interesting. I mean, I think Joe Pope wasn't the first one to turn it on to me, but I think he's the clearest thing that <laughs> right. he, his name is joe pope right and i will say i did catch that okay so pope <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> obviously okay right which the idea there is kind of like okay the first among equals the head the the right. in, unapproachable one the infallible one the the leader and uh, before you get to joe pope you get all of these church symbol sort of things right uh, i tried to count and catch how many sacraments there were uh-huh. in the book, uh-huh. and and I caught several of them. Communions there all over the place. Um, sure. I think um, one of the characters it's described that she perceives um, lunch as a sacrament, and they yes. actually use right. sacrament, yes, um, which is is not um, an accident, right? Um, and worship is there. Uh, work is described as a god. Uh, right. Yeah, there it is, page one seventy eight, uh, right about in the middle. Um, uh, our desks were waiting. We had work to do, and work was everything. We liked to think it was family. It was God. And I want to point out that where it says it was God, that's the only place where God is capitalized in this entire book. <laughs> Interesting. Um, everywhere else, you see, uh, even at the end of the book, um, where, where it says by God something, sure. um, it's always just a, a lowercase g. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, the only place, page 178, where it's talking about work. Mm-hmm. Work was God with a capital G. Um, so, okay, so there's that religious sort of symbolism. Uh, and... You know, and it's interesting, and I don't know how far we want to draw this metaphor then, but Joe Pope ends up being sort of like the the mouthpiece for Lynn a lot of times, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, he he'll he'll go in, he'll get to talk to her, and they, they have this very sort of personal... Um, you know, equal relationship. Right. Like he can, he can speak and his mind like to her where no Genevieve one else Genevieve is the can. example. She's the filter where everybody hears the false report right. about how she doesn't have breast cancer, but then Joe Pope is left behind and here he hears, no, she does have breast cancer. Right. And so, you know, just that idea of the Pope as like the, the mouthpiece of, of Christ mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, is, is like carried through here. And, you know, I don't know if that makes Lynn into some kind of Christ figure that I haven't really thought that through. Um, nothing Besides jumps out at Besides old me. Briz and Janine's daughter, she's the only one who dies. Sure, yeah. It, but, well, it, until the end, right. when you've got, like, Tom Moda dies. And, spoilers! Yeah, spoilers. Oh, we didn't pause to let everyone read we, the book. We No. So everyone has to have read the book yep, already. You, you've done that like, now. 
40 minutes in or whatever, and there's yeah. no way we're waiting that long nope. for you guys. We're now. not waiting for you. Catch up to us. Yeah. Pause your tape recorder. Tape. Hit the pause okay. button so that it lets out that we'll, like, high-pitched we're squeal. Gonna, we're going to have a real conversation after are, this. Are we, so, about, After this pretend conversation? After this... After, this... This... Okay. <laughs> anyway, pause your tape player so it lets out that high-pitched squeal that you know is yeah, going to tape. tape recorder. And, mm. uh, you know, prepare to come back and, like, get the pen into the sprockets and, and rewind all of the all of the tape okay. later. Um, but yeah, go read just, the book just first. Bu- just push the button. Like, okay, Michael, you're right next to me. I can still hear when you're whispering. No, he doesn't know what I'm saying. This no, is, I do. I this do is just between me and you. I do. You, know. the gentle listener, and me, Michael Lillianthal. Ethan has no idea what we're talking about. Okay, you're gonna you're gonna open up for us an entirely unintentional set of uh, ASMR. No. No, see, uh, listen, listen to my voice and don't listen to Ethan. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh man, I'm getting the tingles a little he's, bit here. He's he's going crazy right now. He's he's trapped. Why am I going crazy, just, Michael? What is making you crazy? He can't hear me, so he's he's raving like a lunatic. Why am I raving so, like a lunatic? See, see, what is that that was from no prompting from me. He doesn't know what I'm saying. He's just raving. He's just saying things out loud. I hate you so much. And he doesn't know what's going. Wait, on. did you say he's just saying things out loud? <laughs> <laughs> Which, gentle listener, Michael does make a good point because the rest of this podcast has actually been beamed directly <laughs> into your skull. Which is how I was able to pretend that you were all listening on tapes because it doesn't matter what the medium is because it's just being beamed directly into your skull. Except just there where I was raving and was just saying things out loud and forgot to communicate telepathically. So, any of you who have a headache right now, it's because of the mixture of mediums. Um, and also yep. because Michael is not very good at telepathic whispering. No, I'm not. I'm but anyway, really bad at it. Pause your tape recorder, go read the book, come <sighs> back. Yeah. We're going to keep talking. Yep. Anyway, so, Joe Pope um, is... And, okay, so Pope is part of the name, but Joe right. is another part, which, like, Joe, you've got average Joe. Right. Like, which makes him kind of an everyman sort right. of thing, which kind of makes the book about him. Right. But also not, because he's... Right. Your average Joe. Though even so, you you have that still that religious connotation of Joseph. Sure. You know. And I don't think there have been any Pope Josephs that I know of. I don't think so. Um Yeah, I'm I, I will admit I haven't memorized the list of popes, but mm, nope, me neither. Uh yeah. Which gets really confusing in the Middle Ages when sometimes there were like three of them. And... Right. Anyway, that's anyway, a, that's, a that's another discussion. Digression. But uh, so, but anyway, so Joe Pope, when that name came up, that turned me on to the idea that names could be significant in the book, which I should have been thinking all along. Right. But that one really turned me on to it, and uh, the one that I really latched onto was Tom Moda uh, as as a significant name uh-huh. uh, for for. One part that Mota is not necessarily a common name. Right. But you've got Mota, which, if you go into Hebrew, Mot means death. Oh, So, you've got that idea, which made me think, okay, so he is either going to die or be the bringer of death, which he kind of did both. Right. Kinda. Kinda, <laughs> yeah, I mean... He certainly gets laid off. Spoilers again. Um, right. 
Uh, but you who know. doesn't? Like, right. only a handful of people, I think, Which, don't again, actually get laid off. Which, again, sort of is that, is that idea of the fall from innocence. We all, you know, progressively get laid off. Um, you know, it, it, the, especially rereading this opening this morning, when I got to Lynn Mason was dying, the subtext to me is screaming, like, who of us isn't dying? Mm-hmm. You know, some of us just take longer than others. Like, who of us isn't going to get laid off? You know, sure. That, and, again, that's, I don't know. Like, I'm sure every gentle listener here will have long, happy 50-year careers, but, like, within the world of the book... You're we fine. all You're fine, don't worry. You're we all fine. get laid off. Um, <laughs> you won't. Right. In, but in the world of the book, everyone does. <laughs> Were you, like, whispering just now or something? What? Are you, what? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I don't either. Um, I'm clearly just talking out loud now. <laughs> um, so, so, uh... What was I even saying? So yeah, um, this this idea of of uh, uh, death, you know, mm-hmm. could apply to Tom Moda as as much as to anyone. But certainly, symbolically, you know, he he comes and and shoots off the shoots up the office with mm-hmm. his, his paintball gun. But that connects also to the other part of what his last name might signify, and that's far simpler than going into Hebrew and figuring out moat means death, but right. a moat. Is something insignificant, right? And Which is what he fears that he is the entire book, and what he kind of becomes until he dies, like overseas in right. Afghanistan. Right. He he dies right. as a soldier on behalf of the collective, right? But interestingly, he dies from friendly fire, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... And, and I mean, his whole struggle is about the difference between being significant and being insignificant and yeah. like how fine that line right. can almost be. And I think what makes his dialogue about that significant um, is also symbolized in the other part of his name, Tom, mm-hmm. as in Doubting Thomas. Yes, I, th- I thought of that and then Who, went away from it when you were so talking about So d- Doubting Thomas is a nonconformist. Right, but and also he's, is he's, part of the group. Right, he is, and he, but he's also sort of the uh, opposite end of the tension w- that that Joe is on the other end. Of. Yep. So you have like the Pope here, implication being the mouthpiece of Christ. Yep. And you have the the doubter here. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 a complete diametric there. I guess absolutely. Yeah. And putting those two together, you have a complete idea. Right. Um, whereas. Joe Pope is, is you, you never nail him down. You you never really f- was figure out quite a quite an expression to bring up in this in context this context of, of religious discussion yeah, and everything. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You can't. You don't nail him down. Anyway, yeah. what 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 prompted you to use that uh, phrase? The the religious overtones of the book, Ethan. Overtones. Overtones. Oh. The themes. The motifs. Interesting. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know what you're thinking. I don't know what I'm thinking either. What What's making you not sure what you're thinking? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's making me not sure. <laughs> I can't be sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. I would like to point out, though, that you used the word overtones and I used the word distill earlier. That don't think... What? No. Okay. I'm just, just saying. Just Those say, are just you're just words you're just I'm talking saying. out loud. Yeah, I'm just talking out loud. <laughs> uh, anyway, 
also uh when you when you point out all of the communion symbols I happen to be looking at the first page again because yes. once again I am that grad student who only read the first chapter and then listened to everybody else in the class and, and then just figured out what, the entire, book was what about. the entire book was about. Yes. No, I, I wasn't in case any of my um, former professors are listening to this. I had a 4.0 average in grad school. Thank you. Anyway, uh, the, <laughs> the, like halfway through the first paragraph, we loved free bagels in the morning. Yep. So there's that just already, once again, food, you know, that, that food, that, that idea of, you know, clearly free bagels would be sort of where everyone gets together and eats together. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a gift. It's given, it's yeah. free. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And yeah. that, that concept of the, the group, how do I want to say this? It's it's interesting. Okay, so this book. Let me let me let me just take a step back from sure. this book for a second Go and ahead. say, okay, step so back. What, right over there. No, farther. Uh, farther, keep going. Way over here? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Nope, keep going again. Oh, okay. No, don't hurt yourself. Ah! Okay, that was okay. too far. Are you back? Are you no, back? I'm back. Okay, okay. sorry. Yeah, I, I sent I'm you gonna, too far. I didn't gonna... see all of the, the dangerous <laughs> stuff over there. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it from over here. Okay, you so, do that. Um, you said step back, so I was trying to help you. I know. Thank you for your attempt to help. Um, it failed. Um, so I think what, we've established that. What drew you to this book, the idea of the first-person plural narrator. Right. Um, so I, I maybe I was naughty, um, but I read the reading group guide and the conversation with Joshua Ferris at the back of the book, uh-huh. his paperback, uh-huh. and it's mentioned that that first person plural narrator. And on page four of the reading group guide, the the uh, interrogator or the the interviewer uh-huh. uh, asks why the narrative we. Um, I was just poking through that that uh, reading group guide as you were talking just now, and. and interrogator actually <laughs> seems seems about right. appropriate yeah but okay so it seems to me that this first person plural narrator is the concept for the book right and joshua ferris started with that and then d- does he say in here too that he took time like he started writing and then stopped for a while and then figured it out later and kept writing I kind of get the impression that that's exactly what happened with this book that mm. he started. He got this idea that we need this collective we, this first person plural narrator, and that's the gimmick for the book. And I'm going to write a book with that first person plural. And what is it about? I don't know. And he 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 just wrote about it and kind of pulled some themes in of the individual versus the collective sure. and trying to figure out the place there, which is totally valid. He doesn't uh, and it comes say through. that in the answer to the question that you're talking about. No, but I think it's in there in that interview. Maybe I'm okay, maybe okay, I'm maybe adding that in somewhere else. Well, but, it looks like it, it. You know, just glancing through this, it looks like he had experience in an ad agency. Yes, so um, there is that. Absolutely, there's there's part of that in there. But so he he gets this idea of the collective, the we idea, and he's writing about that. And goes through talking about the the group that 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 total discussion, but I don't know if he knew what the goal was of the of the book of itself. the book. Yeah. Sure. All right, gentle listener, we're back. Uh, you didn't know we had gone. Um, if if there was a sudden hit, hitch in your 
um, audio playback equipment uh, if your if your tape squealed slightly, um, as that's as not cassette tapes are wont to do. Yep, um, but it is because Michael suddenly had to run and take a pee. The, why did you have to run and take a pee, Michael? Why are you asking? I am curious. I, ask, I am asking after your health and well-being. That's not polite which concerns conversation. me deeply. But it's not something that In the interest you of keeping about. you safe, I am, I am willing to transgress politeness and the bounds of good taste. But in front of so the gentle why listener? did you have to go pee, Michael? I just I feel like to. you're being I don't defensive. Think it's, I don't think it's abnormal. I think it's perfectly normal. I had to pee also. Yes, you did. You had to pee. So why did you have to pee? Why did I have to pee, Michael? I don't know. You tell me. You tell me and I'll tell you. But that's not how this works. Isn't it? Nope. Back to the book. Anyway. <laughs> that that uh, long pause was us staring at each other with raised eyebrows and great sexual tension. There's a lot of it. Yeah. In case you... Couldn't know feel it. in like if you. I mean, in case you haven't, I don't know why you'd start a podcast on the third episode. But if you haven't listened to the previous close to three hours worth of this podcast and don't know, there's a lot. There's a lot. A lot of um, that. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Stop looking at me like that. You can't make me. Don't tell me what to do. You don't own me. Don't try to change me. I've already changed, <laughs> and you know it. That's true. Anyway, so, um, so I was objecting that I don't think Joshua Ferris, I apologize, Joshua Ferris, for speaking for you, but I don't think he knew the direction of the book. And I suspect that the name, Then We Came to the End, is part of the reason that, or it, it is partially resultant from that fact, that he didn't know where it was going to end. So he said there needs to be an end, so I'm going to title the book about something to do with an end so that I have to write about an end. Then we came to the end. And the thing is that by not having necessarily in mind the end of the book, I don't, as reader, have in mind where necessarily the end is, where the goal is, where the aim is. So he has forced me to become part of this collective that doesn't understand... Just experiences it. Experiences it, yes. And so it, he he accomplished his purpose by not having a purpose. That's that's an interesting theory. I don't think you could ever prove it. No, you can't. Unless Joshua Ferris just you know tells us. Tweet um, at us, please. Yeah, tweet. Please tweet at us. We love you. You know. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Uh, I have no idea what words I was going to say to come out of my mouth. So. Um, <laughs> Anyway. I'm holding the book upside down. <laughs> Why are you holding the book upside down? I picked it up that way. Why did you it pick it up that, that way? Why did you open it? I found it. Why didn't you catch it sooner? I just wanted to... Oh, shut up. I'm reading the book. I'm looking at it. How's that going for you? <laughs> anyway. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm... So not... this oh, I... okay, no. So your 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 theory is, is interesting, though, and it's... There's, there is something to... I can't necessarily back it up, but right, that's there's, my there's impression. There's no way to back it up again unless unless uh, the author, you know, word of God sort of told us. Right. But uh, the thing is, as like someone who's written novels, which if you happen to be a publisher and think that everything I'm saying is brilliant, uh, call me. Yes. 
you know, has you when you when you go back, you you know, you write a first draft. Often you don't know where it's going, or even if you think you know, like it ends up somewhere else, right? But once you figure out where it's going, you go back and like you shape it so that it's going to that place, right? Like that's that's usually mm-hmm. how revision works, and so it's interesting when an impression like that gets left in what is clearly, you know, this is clearly a very polished piece of, of fiction, like in the sense that great care has been taken over it. It's interesting when, when you sort of are left with that impression. And I, I almost wonder, you know, not to say that, that you're, you're wrong. I'm, I'm perfectly happy for you to be right about that. But I do almost wonder if it's also an inherent part of that first person plural. Sure. In the sense that, you know, the the sort of climactic structure of fiction, the, the Aristotle's incline thing, almost assumes an individual hero. Right. You know, the the, the idea that, that something everything is building towards one thing, and then there's like a final battle or a final test, whether it's literal well, or and metaphorical, that's, that's what that the, assumes that one person is going through that. Right, and that's what the reader the, and the writer would expect right. from a story. If you're writing a story, you expect it's about someone right. who's accomplishing something. So if you if you break that idea of, you know, there being a one single hero or one single focus, you know, I almost wonder if inherently you break the idea of there being... Uh, as much of a climax as you can get in like the mm-hmm. hero's journey, for example. Yeah, you know, if I guess if anything, Tom Moda's whole paintball rampage works as that that climax. Right, like, that's probably the height of tension or the height of uh, you know, sort of again, if 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 like everything else has been building and there's like a, an explosion point or whatever. Which, by the way, I remember quite clearly right at this moment. Teaching, teaching the the sort of hero's journey or or the uh, the Aristotle's incline structure, where you have, you know, inciting incident, uh, uh, mounting pressure, climax, denouement. I remember teaching that to a class of undergraduates and them being like, "I I thought this was a class about literature and not sex." Um, <laughs> but uh, so you know, at least I know I'm doing this anyway, as opposed to sex. Shut up. <laughs> um, oh, I I uh, I almost broke one of the rules, but then I didn't. Anyway, <laughs> um, now I forgot what I was saying, though. So I guess you broke me. Um, I win. I win. Again. You don't win. No, that's not this a victory. The second time I that won. is not a victory. No, I win. No, I win you two lose. times this you episode. Lose. Count it. Count no, it. gentle listener. I I won two times. You can you can tweet at us and confirm the fact. Michael is full no, of crap. Don't you full can't. Of- other you're, crap. You're, I'm you're, here too. You're mimicking I'm also me. saying Stop words it. out loud. No, you can't. I'm also do. whispering them. You're, you're, I can whisper too. Stop it. I'm on this, no. this brainwave also. I, this is my Stop. thing. You Stop. No, you can't just write in on my thing. That's not. I am. No. Deal with it. <sighs> anyway. So. Uh, so again, Tom Moda's whole rampage, right? Functions as a climax, if anything does. Right. But. It's not the culmination very... of someone's personal journey. No. It's not even the culmination of his personal journey. Like, and it's, if it's you look at it, it's explicitly it's a little bit... demonstrated as an anticlimax, right. too, because you find out it's, all, it's just paintballs. It's just paintballs. And, you know, it's like, 
you, you know, you could say, oh, well, this is where Tom Moda's been heading this whole time, but it's not a change for him. No. It's just, this is, you know, if anything, this is this is Moby Dick again, where on page, like, 50, Captain Ahab says, I'm probably gonna die <laughs> fighting this whale, and then on page, like, 500 or 4,000 or whatever, Captain Ahab does go down fighting this whale. Like, there's no change. Mm-hmm. That's, if anything, that's Tom Moda's journey. Like, he's been, we get different parts of his character revealed, well, and it's certainly interesting, but he's been the same character the static, whole time. And he points yeah. that out himself, yeah. too. That, right. Well, when especially when he's talking to Joe Pope. That, right. that, you know, he thinks he's the individual. He thinks he's the one who's going to break the mold. But... Nope, he's trapped. And then he thinks he's gonna... He realizes it's Joe Pope who's the one who's actually breaking the mold, who's actually the individual, and then he says, I'm gonna take you to lunch, and I'm gonna do that. And But then in the co- in the process of figuring out, oh, I'm gonna take him to lunch, nope, he's still trapped in the motive of dressing like a clown and going and shooting up the office with right. paintballs. Which is interesting. Um, you know, he he has that, that moment earlier, which I think... It's probably one of my favorite character moments from the entire book, and certainly my favorite moment of his, where he he uh, he goes and finds the the picture of Janine's child that like you know is still up on this billboard because like no one's bothered to to paint over it and like it's too expensive for one department and it's mm-hmm. not enough of a concern for another or whatever and so he just sees this great injustice and he decides to correct it himself and and you know because janine has to drive past it and like the giant mm-hmm. face of her child is torturing her on her way home every night and so he corrects this injustice uh and does it in possibly the most eccentric way in the entire book like at least for eccentricity tom moda wins i think oh sure um you know and he climbs up it with his his uh uh thermos full of i believe uh some kind of martini i think it's like a dry martini if i remember right he dumped like gin and fry vermouth and like some ice cubes into it was just shaking it up Mm -hmm. and was like drinking martinis from it the way uh, normally from a thermos you drink maybe hot soup or whatever um, and then climbs up this this poster with his paintball gun filled with white pellets and just shoots over the the uh, uh, poster um, mm-hmm. until it's it's covered and like this is his way of of uh, correcting this injustice, which there's like a weird beauty to that. Um, yeah, like that that scene. You know, you took that scene by itself and you'd have to know a little bit of the background but you just read that scene by itself there's a weird definitely comic but but there's a beauty to it Mm -hmm. and i forget what point i was making other than maybe just that like you know shooting taking taking his uh martini thermos and shooting up the poster with paintballs versus dressing up like a clown and shooting up you know he shoots the poster with white paintballs in the office with red paintballs Mm mm-hmm but they're essentially the same act, absolutely. In, in every sort of essential right part, every every essential whatever. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it boils down to the question of of like fate, and uh-huh. am I am I trapped? Am I am I made to do this? Is this nature just bred into me? Right. And that's that's Tom Moda's question, and he's the one who asks the question. Right. He does. And and what do you think the novels? Uh take on that is it's it doesn't want to have a take on it Uh, well well okay let me let me rephrase rephrase that it wants to have a take on it but it doesn't know what take to have on it because i think what it wants to have is 
there is such a thing as individuality, but it right. doesn't know what it is. Right. What which, it looks like. Which, again, you know, as as a novel that sort of won American fiction awards and, you know, is quite clearly in an American literary tradition, Absolutely. self-consciously, is an interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because... Again, referring back to to a, a a landmark work of American fiction last episode, East of Eden, mm-hmm. um, it, it, there's there's a similar tension, but oh sure, um, there's certainly you could pull out and Steinbeck. As much as I love him now for East of Eden, I will say he has always been a didactic writer to some extent. Oh yeah, um, and you could certainly pull a didactic teaching of individuality versus determinism out of that in that that theme of uh what's the hebrew word uh timshul timshul yeah mm-hmm. um you know so so you've got that in in east of eden and you've got a very sort of determinist element to it in moby dick you, it's sort of in in huckleberry finn it's sort of a debate a lot of critics more more recent critics have been seeing a very determinist element in all of twain's fiction including huckleberry finn earlier critics sort of you know, said, well, Huck has that moment where he says, you know, all right, then I'll go to hell. Like he, he breaks the restraint of his, his, uh, social mores or whatever. But it's, it's this question throughout American fiction. And usually it seems like at the very least an author will come down on it, not necessarily on one side or the other, but to have a, something uh, to say about it. Something to say about it. Yeah. Again, the probably the American novel that this book reminded me the most of actually is The Great Gatsby. Sure. At least as far as like candidates for the great American novel. And, you know, in in Gatsby there's that question too of like is is everything sort of predetermined or is it is it, you know, is there an element of free will or choice or right. And again, Gatsby is is very ambivalent about it, but it wouldn't say that that it doesn't want to have an opinion it's almost up to up to the reader to to determine what they think but like it's this this novel this then we came to the end is almost even more hands-off than gadsby yeah yeah it it feels like it doesn't want to make a judgment call right on it which might be the point well i i'll say it is the point that it doesn't it doesn't want to decide about individuality versus fate or versus the collective which is right. kind of the more postmodern version of fate being part of this society that's defining right. the individual and yeah well you've got uh the the issue of connection is an interesting motif throughout the whole thing where you've got right the connections of the collective this this company this group that that has their connections but then you've got the connections of families uh, and marriages, and even just the connection of a conversation between people, right? Uh, and and what is most meaningful, and it vacillates even there. Yeah, what is the most meaningful connection to be had? Uh, and it 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 just it's it's asking a question. This whole book is simply asking the question, mm-hmm. uh, rather than trying to proffer an answer. Right. And again, you know, back to that to that Gadsby connection, uh at the end of, of Gadsby, the narrator Nick Carraway essentially says like I forget 
exactly what the words are, but he he says like I'm telling you all of these events, and of course Gatsby culminates in sort of a complicated but great tragedy. And Nick Carraway says, I'm telling you these events and I'm sort of heaping them up for you and like just giving them to you all in a heap and letting you decide, you know, what, yeah. you know, is, is Gatsby a villain? Is he a tragic hero? Is Nick himself a villain or is he just sort of a victim of circumstance? You know, and that's, you know, when I was talking about sort of the idea of, of this novel planted firmly on straddling the line between comedy and tragedy earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a similar thing where it's like, well, here's like Tom Moda's complaints about not being able to be an individual. And here's like Janine's tragedy where she lost her daughter and here's Lynn Mason's cancer. And, um, you know, it's just like, and it comes at us. That's, that's part of, I think, and I am fairly sure it's a quite intentional part of the narrative structure where it comes at us all, you know, this and then this and then this and then this and it's it's mimicking life in that way sure you know uh in the same day you're as apt to hear about a a relative or a friend losing a loved one as you are to hear about a different friend's birth as you are to hear about like your parents financial troubles as you are to like watch the office and laugh at it right you know it's all of these all these things sort of heaped on top of each other and then the novel almost retreats from making any kind of system or or judgment call about like you said what is more meaningful or what is more uh yeah i guess meaningful is probably the best word that i can sure absolutely and well what you'd expect again with this idea of the individual versus the community or the collective you'd expect the individual to be the one that's glorified in an american novel that the individual is the height and then when you talk about a collective, which I don't actually know if that word is used in the book, but it's the word that always came to mind for me, yeah. the collective, right. uh, which of course is, you know, the Borg collective idea. <laughs> um, if I'm going to speak honestly, I'm going to think about Star Trek on this um. <laughs> and think about the Borg. And so right. obviously the Borg are the villains. And so the the collective right. is supposed to lose. The, the collective which... is supposed to be the terrible thing. Which you'd expect then the the we narrator, the first person plural narrator, you'd expect that to be the unreliable vampiric narrator. Right. Which isn't really, I mean, unreliable, yes, but sure. I don't get vampiric from no. this at all. Honestly, it's, it's, it's so unclear. Yeah. That. And I it, think intentionally unclear. Absolutely intentionally unclear. Um, yeah. And, okay, you're the Star Trek expert here. Is the Borg in the original series? No. It's in... It starts in Next Generation. And that's the second series? The third series? Sure. Second. So sure. the second. Sure. Okay. Um, <laughs> did 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 you just, like, edit out ten minutes worth of, like, I'm, I'm Star Trek discourse in go your Go on before I start talking. I appreciate you <laughs> um, very much at this moment. So, yeah, and, you know, Star Trek... You, uh, from its inception, certainly, and, and especially as it moved on to some of those more sort of classic series, the one, the, the most recognizable parts that, that, you know, even us muggles will, will recognize <laughs> to completely mix my nerd references. Yep. Just a um, <laughs> Star Trek has always been very American. 
Yes. You know, like even even from from the beginning, that that idea of space, the final frontier, it's mm-hmm. it's clearly sort of a projection into the future of like the pioneer spirit, mm-hmm. right? Which you know makes the the idea of the Borg being the villains almost obvious in that oh, you know absolutely you have you have the the individual versus the collective and the collective well and it's when it's, taken to extremes is is evil whereas when the individual is held up it's it's you know there's maybe some flaws but it's, it's been still discussed the ideal. too that the borg is the negative reflection of starfleet uh sure. which is starfleet is the one that goes out and explores this final frontier and in fact brings people into the united federation of planets right and joins together with everybody and improves itself by connecting with other races and the borg does that too right and so what is the fine line between good and evil between those two and so you're you're absolutely right that the borg is the natural conclusion of what's going to happen mm-hmm. with that ex- exploration the the individual right. if the individual is seeking to explore it has to come across the collective it has to face the fact of the collective right yeah and and again um i think this this uh idea of in american fiction american discourse anyway the collective not necessarily being like the worst fate i don't know that it's new but the emphasis on it is maybe new sure it's a much more recent thing whereas the emphasis a hundred years ago might be much more on the rugged individual sure and as i was thinking through some of my reactions to this novel i actually weirdly ended up thinking about um a book i read a couple months ago I can't remember the name of it, but it was a history of the George Inn in in, in London, um, in Southwark, hmm. which the George is the oldest still operating coaching inn in London. Hmm. Um, and so it was sort of a history, you know, of what you might see change if you sat on a pub stool in the George from, you know, the 1200s up through now or whatever. Right. And one of the things that that, that book talked about uh, I think drawing on probably some recent sociological work was the idea that in the the 17th 18th centuries the benches or the 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 booths and so forth in the George would have had very high walls like you would have been very cut off if you were in a booth with your with your you know neighbors and compatriots you would have been very cut off from whoever is in the next booth mm-hmm. whereas the modern standard I believe in the George and definitely in like pubs and and bars and inns in general is much more open you know you have benches and there's there's a sense of cutoff but like you're open to the next people over um the idea is that that sort of anti-mimics whatever the spirit of the times is so in the 18th century you know living was much more sort of everyone was on top of each other especially in a city right like Mm. you know you you just you didn't have like insulation the way that we do now you didn't have uh um a lot of the things that separate people that that we have currently and instead what you had was you're all living on top of each other essentially whereas now we have this idea that um or this 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 sort of culture where we're all very very sort of atomized 
you know, we all have our own individual places. Um, we're hiding behind our computer screens, even in our like social media, like we still get to curate and say who gets to see and who gets to talk and who doesn't. Hmm. That's um, an interesting blend rather than dichotomy too. Of, right. Like you're, you're joining everybody in this social media, but you're also cutting yourself off from everybody else by right. controlling it. And, and this, this, you know, I, I think it spills over into this book in the idea that, you know, we have the, we have this illusion anyway, in, in modern society of the idea that we can control that. Mm. And I think this book is very much, um, what Marshall McLuhan would call an anti-environment where it's, it's showing us how, to what, what a great extent we can't actually control that. Sure. You know, we can't control really unless we're like super rich or super privileged in some other way we can't really control everyone that we work with mm-hmm. you know what i mean like we can't control um who gets input and who influences our lives uh and i think that's what that we is is uh talking about you know and even you know we in america we obviously each get a vote in an election but we also can't control how the masses vote so right. you know even though we have this illusion of individualism this illusion of control we there are a lot of things that other people ultimately decide for us yeah i i want to share just I don't want to read the entire page of motifs and themes that I wrote down. Like you did last month? <laughs> Shush. Uh, <laughs> but one that I wrote that connects here is the elusive nature of possession and control of story. Okay. And there that's we go. a theme. Yeah, that, even of story. Yeah. Who gets to tell the story? Yep. And, well, you've got Benny Shasberger, who's supposedly the storyteller of the book. Right. But then you've got Hank, who gets to actually publish a story. Right. And... Before you get Hank actually writing a book and writing a novel and publishing it, he's just somebody who quotes other people. Kind of like Tom Moda, who's just quoting... Who's his face? Emerson. Right. Yeah. That's his face. (laughs) Yeah, that's his face. Um, Why couldn't you remember who Emerson was? Shush. 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 What? Shush. What am I supposed Uh, to not mention? What am I supposed to not say? I think you just implicationalized the mention i think by saying the word implicationalize you do too <laughs> implicationalize is totally a word no it's not it is not no. at all it is not, not in any way shape or form i think we both lose michael Ugh. Ugh. How, how do we both lose the first three episodes uh we just suck i guess we suck <laughs> we suck I'm, I'm sorry gentle listener that we absolutely suck at this game. That's that's Erna, my thank you my, for that input. Yes, my, my dog likes to likes to give her thoughts. Michael's well. dog thinks also that we both suck. She does. She does. And unless we're rubbing her belly, then she then she loves it. Then we are the best. Right. Anyway, I think <sighs> you punish me first. Okay, I'm gonna punish you first. I'm gonna I'm gonna play something for you, and you get to put these headphones in. Okay. Um, Gentle listener, I will now be saying things at a volume and at a knowledge that you will not be able to regulate in keeping with the theme, one of the themes of our book. So, and okay, so everything don't deafen me. Everything you hear, I would like you to imitate. Very well. 
Gentle listener, I apologize in advance for as, whatever this is. As as approximately as you possibly can. There has been dead silence for one entire second. <laughs> Sauerkraut! 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 Schnitzel! Pork schnitzel! Pork schnitzel! Pork schnitzel! Baka! Doodle schnitzel! Doobie doobie doo 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 I'm getting tortured da 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 getting tortured ba da 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 I'm right I I'm getting tortured now Don't hit the high range of your vocal cords too soon Nope. 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 Pork schnitzel. Viel schnitzel. Pork schnitzel and viel schnitzel. Schnitzel Goethe. That's not what she did. Schnitzel Goethe. Cash Bum 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 bum. Very good. Uh, for so Michael, the gentle listener, that? that was the Queen of the Night aria from Mozart's Die Zauberflotte, which literally my wife Karen mentioned earlier in this episode was telling me last night that you hate that piece because you think that the soprano is forced to go too high. I Okay, so it's one thing that your voice can do such a thing, but should it? I'm, I'm going to pull a Jeff, Bo- Jeff Goldblum Jeff, here. Jeff B- Goldblum? Jeff B- Goldblum. Yeah, I see. So, <laughs> you, what you spent so much is... time thinking how much you could do something that you didn't wonder whether you should. Well, what you're saying is you hate me. Yes. That's what I thought. 
I'm glad we've got that out in the open now. It's just so it's clear. And so that I can introduce your punishment for whatever thing it was you said that I remembered you saying. Thank you for the mouse. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. You are going to take a quiz. Oh, dear. This is a BuzzFeed oh, no. quiz. And as BuzzFeed tells us, everything that BuzzFeed posts is true. So Michael's result from this quiz is true. Do you want to tell the gentle listener what the quiz is, Michael? It is. Which Jane Austen heroine are you? Very good. Oh, dear. Okay, let's see. Pick a holiday destination. Now, don't think too hard. Just go just, with your first Just instinct. pick. Okay, let me see. Let me see. Um, all right, New Zealand. Very good. All right. and all. Yep. Pick a Darcy. Oh, dear. Pick a Darcy. This should be easy. This is... Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Colin Firth. Ops. Yep, obviously Colin, Colin Firth. Firth. Yep. OBVS Colin Firth. Pick a social network. I'm going to go with Facebook because I'm old. Because you're old. You're uh, super old. So old. What kind of celeb would you be? Now, celeb is young people speak for celebrity. Oh, that's what that means. Yeah. Okay. Just so you know. Um, we're going to go author. How's that? Obvs. Am, is that presumptuous of me? No. I'm going to go back and change it. No, don't change it. That's but fine. Okay. I told you your first instinct. But, Okay. Sure. Pick a Mean Girls quote. Pick a Mean Michael. Girls quote. And oh, that's a movie? yes. Yeah, Which I, a movie is the thing that plays... Never mind. Anyway, pick a Mean oh, Girls quote. Just pick it. Oh, okay. Get in, loser. We're going shopping. Oh, that's what you say to me every time. Yeah. Oh, is All that from Mean Girls? Yeah, it is. Oh. But I think you just came up with it independently. Sort of like uh, um, Leibniz and uh, the other guy invented calculus at the same time. Right. But also bad. Oh, oh, okay. So pick, pick a Disney princess. A Disney princess. I gotta go Jasmine. Obs. Like. Duh. Oh my gosh. On Sunday mornings. Oh gosh, what do I do on Sunday mornings? I don't know what you do. What do I do I on Sunday mornings? Really, I go I to really church. I don't know. Okay. I gotta be okay. honest That's here. Okay. Probably good. What do you find most attractive? Wealth, loyalty, a sense of humor, wisdom, honesty, integrity. Now, you know you this know question is about me. It. Oh, about you. Obs. What do I like most about you? Well, what do you find most attractive, which I am the most attractive person to you? In that respect? In every respect. In e- oh, okay. I gotta go with integrity. So integrity, yeah. Integrity. Pick something to read. Oh, gosh. What the heck even is everything? Um, Fallen is some sort of know. vampire It looks thing? like a... Yeah. Like, Vogue you is can called see a the, magazine. It's a magazine. Yep. Okay, the Goldfinch is by... Um, it's a novel. J.K. Rowling, except disguised is as it? not J.K. Rowling. Oh. Um, Hyperbole and a Half is a webcomic that was made into yep. a book. Yep. The Pillars of the Earth. Yo, I'm familiar. Is Ken Follett's that. novel. Yep. Have you read Pillars of the Earth? I have not read it, but okay. I'm familiar with it. I've been meaning to. Sure. Um, Bridesaid Revisited is a novel that may appear on this podcast at some point. Well, I think that I gotta pick that then. I'm sorry. That's so okay. Pick a singer. Pick a singer. Um, ooh, 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 good stuff. Britney I'm gonna go with Spears, Lord Adele, here. Adele, Lord, Obs. All right. So which Jane you Austen here? Fanny Har- Price. Fanny Price. Which I believe. It doesn't say here, but I believe she's from Northanger Abbey. You might be right. Am I right? I think you're. Right. I think you might be right. I've only read two Jane Austen novels. I've what? only read Pride and Prejudice and what? Sense and Sensibility. And she's not in either of those. She's not in either of those. Okay, in that case, I'm as far as I can remember. My my like my second choice was maybe she was from Sense and Sensibility. I think she's the maybe, heroine. but I kind of doubt I it. I think she's the heroine from but. Northanger Abbey. So, what does this, so this quiz say about me? The quiz says you are quite shy and have often felt like an outsider. That's true. But around your closest friends, you aren't afraid to open up. That's so true. Which is because of the Scotch. It's so true. You're fiercely loyal and kind to everyone, even so if they true. don't deserve it. 
That's well, so you true. hate exercise, you love reading and learning. So true. None of these things are true. You are quite outgoing. You have always been the most popular <laughs> uh, around your like biggest enemies you open up, usually to berate them. You're like fiercely betraying. You're mean to everyone. Uh, look at the end of the East of Eden podcast for proof. <laughs> Even if they don't always deserve it, that part is true because I didn't deserve it. But that part's in parentheses. You love exercise, but you hate reading and learning. If you could like not read or learn ever again, you would be. You would I'd be, be happy. happy. I'd be pretty the, sure. Just thrilled. So this is a garbage quiz. And none of it is true. <laughs> so. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> you're, you're welcome. For that insight into my soul. You, yeah, it's, it's a pretty ugly uh, abyss there. Maybe I'm being the mean one now at the end of this podcast. You were the mean one at the end of the last podcast. So right, it's like a, so we're trading like a off balance. Here. It's a balance thing. It, it, we're bringing right. balance to the force, to use a Star Trek metaphor. <sighs> Um, everyone, if on your cassette tapes you just heard a, a great noise, that was just Michael sighing and not the tape squiggling again, so you don't have to get out your pens yet. Or Alderaan being blown apart by the Death Star. Oh, snap, son! Good work. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I know. Okay. I deserve it, too. You do. You do. <laughs> so should we, should we uh, wrap up? I, I think we're probably good here. Okay. Well, so, let's... Okay. Let's let's start here. Um, Do you want to introduce the next book? Is that where you're starting? I'm going to wait. Okay. I'm going to wait to introduce that. Go ahead then. For a bit. What do you think about the Scotch? What do you think about this Glenfiddich Glenn, Glenn 14-year U.S. exclusive? It's interesting that it's a U.S. exclusive. It is. Um, it doesn't actually, to me, taste that much like bourbon. Mm-mm. Which I realize that, like, being aged in bourbon barrels versus, like, being an actual bourbon, they're very different things. Right. But I, I know what you mean. It, it's its interesting. It doesn't... It, tastes, it, it still tastes more like a scotch than a bourbon. Oh, very, sure. very much scotch-like. Um, and, you know, it's been a long... Like, I've I've had fine scotches and fine-ish wines, and so I understand what the idea of a finish is. But, like, that whole being, like, throat punched by vanilla thing that you mm-hmm. read at the beginning of the podcast i can see that sure like this is maybe the strongest finish i think i've ever experienced oh, absolutely um you know the the rest of it was was good and i can see some of those like woody elements but like you know that that sort of happened and was sort of subtle and then it was just like hey vanilla <laughs> that's that's the experience that i had of it i i, I agree 100 percent it's 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 very interesting it's got that um that glenfiddich grassiness yeah yeah it's there sure. you know yeah. i mean it's a highland it's a highland so uh so it's it's got that, that grassiness rather than the peatiness it's not very smoky it's kind of sweet which i think that sweetness that it's got there is is the closest we're going to get to that bourbon uh right sort of yeah there's american there's flavor but it's not even it's but not it's as intense. so subtle yeah it's a subtle sweetness it's not an intense sweetness like right. bourbon tends to have right you know, and they mentioned the 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 rich fruitiness that they've got there, sure. and there's some of that, sure, um, which which is Glenfiddich classic, right? That, that, but it's the vanilla and the caramel. It is to me that that, that just thing, come right that, out, and that's right at the end. That yeah. finish yeah, that yeah. you've got of the vanilla and caramel right at the end. Yeah, that really hits you. So, so, so what would you give it out of five stars? You're the guest. What do you say? 
I'm going to say four. Okay. Um, partly that's just a personal thing. I do tend to like, especially more recently, the, the, the more peaty, smoky mm-hmm. thing or the, the like sea, uh, sort of, sort of sea salt, sort of salty thing. Um, but it was really, it was, you know, I liked it. I liked sure. it for sure out of, as far as a scotch that I wouldn't necessarily like go to if it was just me picking. Sure. So I'm, I'm going to say a solid four stars. I'm, I'm going to give it a 3.5. You know, it's, it's, it's good. Um, you know, Glenn Fittich 12 year is something that I'll go to just as like a staple if sure. I, if I just want scotch. Right. But I don't want to take the time to pick one out. Right. I'll get a Glenn Fittich 12 year. Sure. That's that's kind of a staple. And this is this is close to that. I think it's it's a little um it's it's adding more into it and I don't know if it's artificially added uh or sure. what, but that's kind of how how I feel about it. Yeah, I can see that. That it's it's taste-wise it's, it's like it's, the Glenn Fittich 12 t- plus some. Right. Right. Um, so it's, it's not quite as good, I don't think, as the Glenfiddich 12 year, but it's good. It's good. I would drink it again. Yeah, I would, I would, I would, I would definitely again. drink it so, again. So, 3.5 is what sure. I'm going to give it. Fair enough. So. So the book. Yes. I, I went first on the scotch, you go first on the book. Um, okay, so here's, here's what I think about this book. Would I read it again? I don't effing know. <laughs> uh, would I recommend it? No. That's really? that's what I'm going to say. I I don't think I would recommend this book. Okay. Which the reason I would not recommend it is because I would want to recommend so many other books before I recommend okay, sure. this book. I would want to recommend a stack of books to precede this book, which would include things like Lolita and then something like Catch 22 and 1984, which I caught a which... whole bunch of yeah. references in here to and catch especially catch 22 are entire like 20 minute discussions between the uh, relationship of themselves the two that we could have had that we didn't right we could have easily sure. so i i don't think i would recommend this book because i would want to recommend would something else on, instead would it depend on who you were talking to like, oh absolutely so if you're talking to like an e- english grad student for example who's like probably read at least some of the books that you'd recommend. See, at that point, I would have to... It would depend on the conversation. Sure. Have you read this? Have you read that? Right. Have you read this, that, and the other thing? And there would still be other things that I would... I would would have in line before this book. Sure. To recommend. Sure. Um, At the end, I I wouldn't recommend it. Because it does feel kind of aimless. You know, it Uh says, then we came to the end. And that was, you know, the point I was making. You know, it's driving towards an end, but it doesn't know what that end is, which might be the point. Uh, But even still, you know, is your time better spent on something else? I think so. Okay. Fair enough. I personally, so my current job, I work at a deli in a grocery store that is owned by a corporation. Um, <laughs> decently large corporation. My previous job, I worked at a school, a, a college that was run by, it was a for-profit college. It was run by a corporation with those two job, two sets of job backgrounds, I guess I would recommend it. This book, I would recommend to anyone who has any kind of similar background, essentially mm-hmm. anyone who has worked for anything that they could call corporate quote unquote. That's who I'd recommend this book to. Anyone anyone who needs something that, like, this book gets me, this book gets my experience, 
I would recommend it to those people. And I would recommend it probably to anyone who, like, went to a similar English grad program that I did. And that's assuming that you've read a lot, if not all, of, like, the great American novels, Moby Dick, Huck Finn, Great Gatsby, uh, you know, a lot of those type of novels, um, plus some background in other, you know, sort of lesser-known novels, especially American novels. Either of those situations, either of those sorts of people, I would recommend this book to for sure. Um, and especially the corporate thing, which we didn't talk a lot about, but, mm. you know, this book really gets sort of corporate culture and the, the idea, the feeling, I guess, of working for corporate. This book that was really something just that we nails. could easily talk for an hour. Again, we could have done our whole podcast itself. about that. Yep. Um, and like I say, if you need a book that, like, if you work for corporate and you need a book that just gets you and that probably reflects your experiences, or at least some of your experiences, then I would recommend it. Beyond that, you know, I guess it's one of those things, like, if it sounds interesting, if anything that we said here sort of piques your interest, or if you're mm-hmm. interested in form or in, you know, innovations in narrative technique, like the first-person plural narration... Any of those situations, I would recommend this book. Beyond that, I can't necessarily say... I I guess I agree with Michael. Like, there's a lot of things I would recommend before it. So, you know, take from that what you will as far as a recommendation goes, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I guess if we were doing a five-star rating, it'd be like three out of five. Certainly not bad, but... Not like everyone forever has to read this book forever. Right. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So Joshua Ferris, if you're listening, hopefully that is something. Can I mention how much I hate the cover of this book? Sure. Like, okay, so there... The the cover on the front it it really sets it up as a comedy. You've got this yeah. this sans font uh, for then we came to the end and almost you know, this a big exaggerated font and everything. Almost a comic sans, not quite, almost but not almost. quite. But then you've got these these little comic book sort of figures of the guy walking yeah. with the, the 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 sling briefcase over his shoulder. You've got somebody. Uh, with their feet up on the desk and the hat covering their eyes and they're sleeping. And then you've got a guy who's, like, hitting on this, this like, olive... Um, olive oil. Olive oil sort Popeye, of. Yep, yeah. yep, that's exactly what she looks like, yeah. this, this olive oil sort of thing. Uh, and he's leaning on the water cooler and eyeing her up and... Being cool. And being, yeah. All the stuff that... And then you've just got quotes everywhere. One of the ten best books of the year. Entertaining, engrossing, very funny. Uh, even just on the binding, it, there there are two words that describe it. Terrific yeah. from Nick Hornby and hilarious from Stephen King, which sets it up as just this great big comedy. And that's, it, it doesn't deliver on that. Right. Which I don't think it ever meant to. And no, it didn't. Granted, authors... From what no, I understand, that's, that's not Joshua Ferris's fault. Very, very little control over that sort of thing. Right, right. But and, still, and yeah, even you, the, just a little a blurb on the back about what the book is about. Right. That's that's no no measure for how to right. to judge the book itself. Right. It's it's completely different from what the cover expects you to think it is, and that's yeah. not Joshua Ferris's fault. That's whoever published it. That's that's their fault. Anyway. Sure. Would you like to know what we are going to read next month? Do you want to rate the Scotch book pairing? Oh, yes. Yes, we should do that. Um, do you want to go? Sure. Um, no, I'm going to let you go because I picked the Scotch. Very well. So, 
Uh, it was an interesting scotch to pick, being sort of the American edition. Uh, and I thought I thought it worked really well, actually. Um, you know, just just the idea this is U.S. exclusive. It's a little bit sweeter. There's the bourbon barrel thing, uh, but it's still sort of a scotch, and it has that scotch undertone where it's not as sweet as an actual bourbon. Um, I thought that actually jived really well with the tone of the book. I thought that was really good. So yeah, I, I as far as you know, if you're going to be one of those people who do read this book. I would recommend the scotch to drink with it. Awesome. I I agree. Uh, not to toot my own horn, and we're not going to get into that. I think Don't it worry. did. I think I'll it toot was really your good. Horn later. Shh. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think it paired really well. Um, because, as you say, the American exclusive, you know, it's got that bourbon sweetness, but it is also very scotch-like. So it, it's kind of a scotch that doesn't really know what it is. <laughs> and I think the book doesn't really know what it is. And also, you know, if you if you set them side by side, you've got this, this deep blue, and then the book itself is this yellow with this bright, bloody red. And, you know, it's it's the prime it colors that just looks really, really nice good next together. to each other. Yeah. yeah. They look awesome. Like, I'm looking forward to when you do that, that whole thing where you put the scotch and the book next to each other. Right, for the, the episode for cover. The, yeah, yeah I, th- I think it'll I think, really I think good. that looks really nice. All right, so what are we reading next month? Next month. month. Next month. Next month. Next month. Gentle listener and Ethan, we are going to also read a Ethan. book. I've got here. I'm going to let you open it. Go ahead. Okay. It's in a Barnes it's Noble bag. It's in a Barnes Noble bag, so it's in, like, text from Moby Dick, actually, which we have. Moby, Moby who? Moby Dirk. Moby Dirk. Moby Dirk. Moby Dirk. Moby Dirk. Okay. We are listening. Oh, yes. <laughs> we are reading next month the book Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, a novel of Cupid and Psyche. Yes. This is C.S. Lewis's last novel that he wrote, and it is based on the myth of Cupid and Psyche. Have you read this book? Before? I have not. Oh, it has been on my list for a while. Because I have read this book before. You have? Okay. I think twice. Oh, really? I think twice. Oh, okay. But it has been... What What age am I now? I just turned 28. It has been a solid eight to nine years since the last okay. time I read Do this you book. own this book? I believe I own this book. Well, you own I'm a second positive. copy. This is yours. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate the heck out of you. Uh... Yeah, in fact, the copy that I think I own might technically be my parents, and my mother may have been bothering me to give it back to her for about four to five years now. So well, now you can, is, and this, this is, is yours. A wonderful gift, so, and I appreciate you. So that's a, that's our book for next month. So till we have faces by C.S. Lewis, uh, should be pretty easy to attain a copy. Theoretically, listener. you can find it um, at Barnes Noble. They've Barnes got it Noble, weirdly in their Christian Life sen- section. That is a weird. It. I, I think the only reason is because it looks nice next to all of the, the, the non-fiction other, C.S. Lewis yeah, stuff. Yeah, that makes sense to me. The, but I know I've seen it at used bookstores. Like, this is not a, a a hard book to find. Yeah. it's It's been something on my list for a while since I read the first paragraph of the book. Okay. So, yeah, just beautiful poetic prose, and I'm hoping that holds up through the rest of the book. I think so. so. Um, um, and may I recommend, uh, I want to see if I can find it quickly here, where C.S. Lewis mentions which uh, version of the Cupid and Psyche myth. Mm. Okay, so the the version of the myth that Lewis goes into in this book, or that, that he bases this book on, is um, the metamorphoses, sometimes called the golden ass, of Lucius uh, 
Julius Platonicus. What's his usual abbreviation? Just Lucius, right? Probably. Yeah. So if you if you want to know the version of the myth that C.S. Lewis based his book on, which comes in really handy understanding the end of the book, look up the the version from the Golden Ass by Lucius, and that's that. You know, if you want to do like the extra credit work for this book, that's, that's if you what want you'd to read. do more than yeah. we're already asking you, you to do. If you all want to get an A rather than just like a B minus, and the grade is based on what we say. Yes, together. Together. Because, yes. Yes. Anyway. Anyway, so, yes, feel free to read along. Um, and if you would like to join the discussion, visit us at tapestryradio.org and leave your feedback in the contact section. Be sure to put Scotch Talk in the subject line. That's the best way to make sure that it gets to be part of this podcast. Uh, if you like what we do here each month, uh, please, 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 Please review us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Like I'm, I'm on my knees way. begging. Me too. And that's the best way to just get our get word out to like other people. And, you know, they hopefully listen and like it and snowballs from there. Right. Um, so people similar, share us on uh, Facebook or wherever you share things. Like, you know, just, just like, hey, I listened to this podcast and it was good. You might like it too. Right. Um, anything like that. Anything that, like, boosts our signal and gets the word out. Really helpful. We appreciate. We love. Absolutely. We will give you scotch if you happen to be in our presence and right. we know that you have done this. Yep. If, if you're here in this room with scotch, and we will us, give you scotch. We will give you scotch. Right. Right. That's that's how it'll work. So, yeah. yes, follow us on Twitter also, at Room with Scotch. Uh, and on Facebook, too. Find us there. Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch. Otherwise, follow the Tapestry Radio Network. Yep. And we have some other great shows on there. Uh, our fiction podcast, Intermission, which I believe is going to have its fourth episode coming out this month. Coming out very soon. Or which will it, it, it will be out by out. the time that this episode comes out. I was afraid of that. Uh, yep. So the fourth episode is out. Yes, uh, it is. Present tense. Determinist uh, present tense there. Fiction podcast, uh, sort of an anthology series, so you can listen to any episode in any order. It doesn't yep, matter. It stands alone, but uh, also we're crafting a world. Yes. And then Pokemon Rollout. Pokemon Rollout, uh, the uh, Pokemon Tabletop United RPG podcast. Uh, think Dungeons and Dragons, but with Pokemon. We have a lot of fun just uh, playing Pokemon and catching stuff and, and doing things. My brother, Nick, uh, is the game master for it. He is the one crafting the story. The rest of us are characters in that story. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So. Good. Well, gentle listener, we will see you next month. On uh, Michael and Ethan in a room with Scotch, uh, reading Till We Have Faces by C.S. Lewis, uh, with a Scotch to be determined by my guest, Ethan Bartlett. No, you'll be my guest that month. That's, yes, I will be your guest, my my host to be Ethan Bartlett. Very good. And Thank I'm you. Michael Lilienthal. Uh, and I'm Ethan Bartlett. You can follow me on Twitter at M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. You can follow me on Twitter at at Bjartlet, B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. Good job. Though I very rarely tweet or, well, I think I see it if you tweet, but I very rarely tweet, so good but luck with that. Find us there, and... And we love you. We love you so much, and good. just so you know, it's not about the scotch.
Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener, obviated objects of oblivion obambulating about, offered unto you in the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org, from our fancy to yours. (laughs) 